Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. Good morning, everyone. So good to have you here. For those of you who've been with us for a little while, we're, we are in the middle well, maybe a little bit more than the middle, a little past the middle of our series on the Gospel of John. We've been trudging through this thing for a better part of a year. We've taken a few breaks here and there. But this is one of those books in the Bible that you don't just want to race through because the Gospel of John is so rich. Remember that the Apostle John or the disciple John, he was the one who was the disciple that Jesus loved. That was one of his nicknames, right? So he has this unique perspective, this unique understanding about Christ and his mission and his purpose and and speaks about him just a little bit differently than the other gospel writers. That's why I really love this book and it's been it's been great for me. I love studying it and I'm I'm hoping that you're enjoying uh, uh, studying along with me. So here's just a little recap of what we covered last week. So last week we were in John 17 verses 1 to 8, and we saw Jesus begin to pray out loud to the Father with the disciples right there so that they could hear him as he is praying. We learned through Jesus' prayer that he is passionate about glory for the Father and for himself. And this glory, this importance of knowing God through Jesus has been revealed to the world through the life that Jesus lived. In his prayer, Jesus also affirms the disciples and their response to him. This week, Jesus continues this prayer. It's pretty long and pretty rich, so we're not even going to hit it all in one shot here. And his prayer focuses on his followers, his disciples this week. But before we get going into this prayer, that, or continue in this prayer, I want to ask you guys a question. Do you remember the day that you moved out of your parents' home? Does anyone remember that for the very first time, moving out of your parents' home? Okay. So for many of us, it may have been when you, know, you moved out and went to college Maybe it was when you were planning to get married and you had been living at home until that point. Maybe for others, you and a group of friends had this wild idea that you were going to move to another city and get an apartment together. And you said, oh yeah, we can all chip in. It'll work and it'll be great. And either way, as you prepared to move out of your parents' home, I'm guessing that there were a few different feelings or emotions that were going on. Certainly some excitement because we all can't wait for that day to be free of our parents' shackles, right? No, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. But there were also some nerves, like it's like, okay, you know, like mom has done all my laundry, we'll see what this looks like now, right? And, And there's some questions, there's curiosity about the future, and probably some added pressure is like, okay, rent, mortgage, whatever, that's on me now, mom and dad aren't there to pay for those things, so I think it's okay. I think for the disciples in what we're praying, or what we're seeing Jesus pray for this morning, it's they may have had a similar feeling to those kind of emotions as well because they were kind of on the precipice, right on the edge of being sent out of the nest. Jesus was going to ascend to heaven. After his death and resurrection, uh, nothing's really the same. Even over the course of the 40 days that Jesus is still around on earth, it's not the same as it was for the three years that they're walking in ministry with Jesus. So there's this new degree of independence that they're kind of being thrust into, right? So all these feelings, all these nerves were probably part of what they're beginning to experience. I think, though, in today's message, we're going to see the great lengths that Jesus goes to in order to prepare his disciples and us for what's coming next in life as Christians. 
So I'm inviting you to put yourself in the place of the disciples today because most of what Jesus says, it still applies to you and me right now. As a matter of fact, it all does. Even though sometimes people say, well, that's only a disciple thing. No, I, I think the context still works for us if we apply it. So we're going we're gonna to listen to these things. We're going to hear what the Lord wants to say to us. And we'll see how we can learn from what Jesus is praying about for his disciples. So let's pray and then we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, this is your word and all of it is so prevalent for us. There's not a single word that you have ever spoken that we can now disregard, but everything is still valuable. Everything is still precious. And even though we know that you're praying for your disciples because they're right there with you and, and your prayer will change a little bit next week, we can still learn so much from what you're saying. Lord God, we pray that our hearts would be open to hear these things and, and, and cause us to wonder, cause us to think along with what you're praying today. If we begin to think about people in our lives or situations that we live in or dilemmas that we're facing and we hear these words and they speak into our situations, God, I pray that we wouldn't disregard them. I pray that we wouldn't shrug them off, but that we'd actually say, yeah, that actually changes the way I think about this and I can have a hope and I can have a confidence and, and a different approach here. Whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit, we are your people. And we don't want to try to white-knuckle our lives and hold on to it for ourselves. We hold it open. Our hands are open to you, Jesus. Would you please take all of us, use every part of our lives, help us to be surrendered to you so that your glory is what we're concerned with, just like you are. Amen. All right, so today we're continuing, starting with verse 9. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. So Jesus now begins to pray specifically for his disciples. Not all people, not the whole world, but just the ones who have committed themselves to following him. Jesus knows who his disciples are. He knows that they believe in him and that they're devoted to him. And the disciples bring Jesus glory through their faith, their devotion, their commitment to him. I think there's a really interesting chain reaction that's good for us to take note of here. So Jesus lived to bring glory to the Father. That became very evident through his life. And he even said those things last week as we learned about the beginning of his prayer. Now the disciples who saw how Jesus lived for the Father, they are following his example. By living like Jesus, they bring glory to Jesus. This is so simple, yet so extremely powerful. When, when we know how Jesus lived his life, and we choose to live like him, that's when we're glorifying Jesus. So many people wonder, like, I just want to do good. I want him to be proud of me. How should I do this? It's very simple. Know who Jesus is. Know how he lived, and do the same things. And that's why Jesus is giving props or he's giving kudos to these guys because they understood that and they were following along with the example that he set. Basically, Jesus is rejoicing, saying to God, these disciples, they love me and they are living to bring me glory. Thank you for working in their lives. Verse 11, now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Jesus knows that he's leaving this world 
And he's concerned. He has care about his disciples, right? So he prays asking God to protect his disciples by the power of your or God's name. That's what Jesus said. But what does this phrase mean? If, if I were to pray, God, protect my church by the power of your name, what am I asking? What, what are we getting at here? Back in John 16, which we were in a, f- a few weeks ago, when Jesus taught about praying in his name, we learned that this meant praying with his interests in mind, not our own interests. We pray concerned with God's will, not concerned about our will. So now Jesus is asking the Father to protect the disciples by helping them to continue to live focused on the name of God, focused on living according to God's will and God's character, right? So Jesus knows that his disciples are committed to those things, that if, or sorry, that if they're committed to those things, they will live in cooperation and unity with each other, just like the Father and the Son have a cooperation in the way that they minister and a unity in what they are striving for. This makes a lot of sense for us today here in 2023. We have much greater protection against spiritual unrest and disunity when we choose to focus on living for God's will and God's character instead of our own. No conflict ever started amongst believers because they experienced too much unity. No church ever fractures or splits because they are just getting along too well and they're all too focused on living for the Lord. There's actually a couple of great verses in Ephesians 4 that talk about this as well. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. As Christians, we unite ourselves by submitting to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads us to honor the name of God and to do His will, which He gives to us. The church is protected from spiritual chaos by living for the will of God, because that's where we begin to experience unity. And Ephesians 11, or 4, verse 11 and 12 say, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So here we see that Jesus has provided leaders for his church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These kinds of leaders are responsible for building up the church. And our leaders build us up for the purpose of equipping us to do God's work, to live in his name, to live according to his will. When we do God's work, That's how we're protected by the power of God's name, just like Jesus prayed, because we're living in cooperation with the Father. Verse 13 from this same passage says, This building up and equipping, that's my own parentheses there, will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. See, pastors, teachers, evangelists, you know, all these guys who've been given to the church to do a job of building up and equipping, their role is to point us to Jesus more and more and more. That's always what it should be. If you ever find yourself in a church and one service even goes by where a pastor doesn't mention Jesus, that'd be a bit of a head scratcher to me because literally every verse in the Bible, I believe you can point back to the cross. You can point back to the need for Jesus Christ in this world. So it's good for us to mention him early and often. 
But the goal here in this verse, verse 13, is that we'll become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full standard of the pastor? No. The elder team? No. Christ. Christ is always the goal. Uh, Isn't that so simple and so great? I actually love that we stop and highlight these things sometimes. I think sometimes we we walk into churches or, or people have had maybe a negative experience in a church and they say, well, the pastor was talking about Republicans versus Democrats for a whole message. Yeah, that's probably not a church that you were in, actually, even though it may have looked like one from the outside. But when a church focuses on Christ... All of a sudden, it all comes together. It all makes sense, right? That's where we have the confusion drop, and all of a sudden, we have a direction and a focus, and it's good for us. Christ has to be the center. For me personally, I've never experienced greater unity in my life than when I was equipped to do the will of God and then joined in with other Christians to actually do it. So you can have unity if we all think the same things, but greater unity is when we are all living for the same purpose and doing those things together. For example, even at home, just within our own family, Karen and I, over the years, we have talked much about how we ought to teach and discipline and train and encourage our kids in godly ways through many different situations and stages of life. Some say, well, yeah, but that's just parenting. Everybody goes through that. You don't even have to be married to parent together. Yeah, you're right. But when Karen and I work together, fixing our hearts on parenting in a way that brings glory to God, it brings us together. We experience unity under the power of the name of God because we're living for his glory right in our own home. Man, if your marriage is on the rocks, if you're having trouble... You probably don't need to focus on each other nearly as much as you think. You probably both need to turn your eyes to Jesus and say, Lord, we need you in this relationship. It's not about more romance. It's not about more, you know, acts of affection. It's not about serving each other. Those are all good things and they should be included. But probably the greatest thing that we need is, Jesus, we just need to focus on you. And that's amazing how that unites us under the power of the name of God. Another example is actually over the last couple of months, there's been so many moments where we've been working at New Beginnings, our church's thrift store, and it's been really cool. I mean, my wife has put in tons of time there. I'm so proud of her. It was her birthday yesterday, and she didn't demand that we go to some fancy restaurant. She's not demanding anyway. She's so gentle and meek and mild. I love her very much. But we woke up early and we went to the thrift store and we got work done because we just love serving the Lord together. But over the course of the last couple of months at the thrift store, I've been spending time there not only alongside my wife and my own kids, but with Lisa and Leona and Bruce and Karen and Jennifer and Melissa, Ron and Kathy. And you know what's weird? Like I know all of those people pretty well. But then when we're working together, when we're doing something for God, when we're saying, this is what we believe and this is what we're going to do because we believe it, all of a sudden our unity was experienced on a higher level. And it was great. There were no fights. There was no arguments. We were all focused on what the Lord has in store for this community by us trying to get this thrift store established for his glory in this place. I just love how working together is so important. As a matter of fact... I wonder, is there more value in serving God together in the same place at the same time than we think? I I think there might be. 
And for those of you who are connected to this church or a member of this church, but the only time you ever see a brother or sister in Christ is on a Sunday morning, you probably need to be more active. And I'm not saying that in a condescending way or I'm not wagging my finger at you, but I just gave you two examples of how living out my life with other Christians was a benefit for me. I'm not saying this because I need you to do something. You need to do this for yourself. You are going to experience the blessings and the benefits of relationship with Christ by serving alongside your brothers and sisters. So it's a glorious thing for you, a gift for you, not for me. Don't worry, I'm not, not trying to make anyone feel bad. So Jesus' prayer continues here now in verse 12. During my time here, I protected them, that's his disciples again, by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. So Jesus acknowledges a couple of things here, that he was the one who was protecting his disciples. They were under his care as he was their shepherd here on earth. Jesus' character and knowledge of the truth guided and taught these disciples perfectly and consistently during their time together on earth. Only Judas, who was prophesied to betray Jesus, was the one who fell away from Jesus' teaching in the end. And you can see actually a prophecy like that in Psalm 41 verse 9 where it says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Verse 13. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with joy. I have given them my wor- your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. So Jesus is saying in, this, in his prayer at this point that his time on earth is done. I mean, relatively speaking. He's coming back to the Father, which is going to happen very soon. But while he was here on earth, he taught these disciples well. He gave them the truth of the Father so that they could have everlasting joy by knowing God. As time went on, Jesus taught the disciples more and more, and they grew closer and closer to God. We know that they started off a little rough, and there was a lot of maturing that needed to happen. There was a lot of sinful behavior that they needed to understand that was different now that they were followers of Jesus. And they moved away from that sinful behavior that this world readily accepted. Now this is what Jesus means when he says now they do not belong to the world. Over three years of ministry, Jesus cemented his reputation as being someone who wasn't here on earth to fit in with people's lifestyles, customs, or culture. Over these three years of ministry, the disciples learned to share Jesus' position, and they eventually sided more with Jesus than they did with anything else. And they didn't fit in with this world any more than their master did. And as a result of living for God's name by the truth of God, Jesus and his disciples became hated by the rest of society because they refused to go along with the way that the society was going. They were doing something different. Jesus said that the world would hate his disciples because they do not belong to or go along with the world. I think we'd all admit that there can be different degrees of hatred that a person can show. For instance, it's possible to hate someone enough that you see them in the grocery store. It's like, I don't need bread that badly this week. And you avoid going down that aisle because you don't want to see them. Not cool, but that's kind of how we can hate, right? But then it's also possible to hate someone so much that it actually motivates a person to seek someone out that they hate 
in order to cause harm or, or some sort of misfortune to happen in their lives. Certain cultures here on earth tend to hate Christians more strongly than others. I remember reading a book about evangelism years ago by a pastor named J. Mack Stiles. And in his book, he talks about how God led him to pastor a church in Dubai, of all places. Stiles spent much of his time in his years in Dubai reaching out to university students who came to study in his city from all over the Middle East. They were open to ideas from Western culture, so Stiles made the most of his opportunity to speak freely with them. As time went on, Stiles made some friend connections with a group of young men, and they met together, they talked about the Lord, they had some informal Bible studies, nothing too crazy, but he did talk to them about Christ, and they eagerly asked questions. One day, as he was talking with them outside the university, he noticed one of the young men named Abdul eyeing his Bible, as Stiles always carried a Bible around with him. After a minute, Stiles asked Abdul if he had his own Bible, and Abdul said no. So Stiles asked him if he would like this one. Abdul said, yes, very much. Stiles knew that Abdul hungered to know Jesus. They had been a part of these discussions for so long, he understood Abdul's heart was open and ready to receive Jesus as his Lord. But almost hesitantly, Stiles handed the Bible over to Abdul. It wasn't because this was Stiles' main Bible and it had all of his notes and highlights and underlines in it, but... The reason Stiles momentarily hesitated to give the Bible to Abdul is because he knew that if Abdul's father ever caught him with that Bible, he would, be, he would be obligated to kill Abdul because of the laws of the religion that Abdul's family practiced. Stiles gave the, a Bible to Abdul and a huge smile instantly appeared on Abdul's face. Abdul greatly thanked Stiles and then turned and walked away. That was the last time Styles or anyone from that group of friends ever saw Abdul again. As Christians, we don't experience that in North America. Sure, there are some things that go on here in our own country that make life difficult for Christians. We hear stories about lawsuits being launched against a Christian business owner or something like that. But, but we don't have to fear, for the most part, being killed just because we believe in Jesus or own a book that talks all about him. I think it's worth pointing out that in verse 13, Jesus talks about the disciples being filled with joy because of what Jesus tells them, right? And in the very next verse... Jesus says that the world hates them. Because the disciples are filled with joy from knowing the Lord, this reveals that they do not belong to this world, just as Jesus doesn't belong to this world either. Abdul had tremendous joy because he knew Jesus. That moment that he was given that Bible, he was more involved with Jesus and he had more faith and hope in what the word of God would show him than he ever had before in his life. He was hated, presumably by his own family, because of it. But it's actually not tragic that Abdul lost his life. It's not tragic and sad that most of the disciples who followed Jesus eventually were killed in horrible ways for their faith in Jesus. 
What would have been far worse is if, they've ne- if they had never had the joy of knowing Jesus and the assurance of eternal life. Friends, we have to remember this life on earth, even though some days there's, there's moments that go by and it just feels like it takes forever, we have to remember that life on earth is temporary. Psalm 39 says that life is but a breath. It is fleeting. It is just a moment, no longer than the width of our hand. Life on earth is temporary and all of its hardships and the hatred that we as followers of Jesus may experience are going to be temporary as well. But the joy of real hope and perfect salvation through knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, that will last forever. As I read verses 13 and 14 this week, I really felt like Jesus was was praying in this way as an encouragement to his disciples. He didn't want to sugarcoat things by just saying, oh yeah, now that you're following me, it's easy. Don't worry about it. He he let them know, yeah, they're hated, but they also have joy in me. I think he's encouraging them to never trade in their eternal joy in him because they feel pressure to fit in with this temporary world. And I hope that you will make that same choice as well, to never turn away from the hope and the love and the joy that you have in Jesus. I hope you never give it up because this world offers you something temporary that gives you just a little bit of pleasure but ends up in eternal despair. Verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. This might be actually my favorite verse in this whole passage that we're looking at today. As Jesus is praying, he clarifies what he's asking God to do for his disciples by telling God what he's not asking him to do. And we all talk like this from time to time, right? Like I coach baseball for the high school baseball team. And if I'm, a, if I'm coaching a player in baseball and we're working on his swing... I could tell him time and time again, I want you to swing through the ball, level your swing. But sometimes, in order to clarify what I mean, I might, I might need to say, hey, I don't want you to chop down on the ball. Oh, okay, I get it now, right? So sometimes you need to say what we don't want in order for what we do want to be part of the message. So logically, our idea of protecting someone from something, if we're thinking in human terms, is to remove them from the danger that they might be in, right? If you're in a burning building, get out of it. That's pretty simple, right? If you're standing close to the edge of a cliff and, and it's starting to slide or something, you should move away from the edge of that cliff. If you find yourself in a McDonald's drive through don't stop. Keep driving. Like, danger comes in many forms, right? I resist, I try to resist that danger, but it doesn't always work. I don't think that God ever thought that Jesus was asking him to take his disciples out of the world because Jesus had just spent three years pouring his life into these men so that they could carry on his message. If they weren't here on earth, they wouldn't be able to carry on that message, of course, right? But I kind of wonder if Jesus prays this way because he knows the disciples are listening. Hearing this part of their prayer, of his prayer, maybe they understood a little bit more about Jesus' heart. I kind of think like, if I were to paraphrase this a little bit and just put this in different terms, I think this might be like Jesus is saying to the disciples through this prayer, no, this isn't your permanent home, and yes, this world is going to hate you because you belong to me, but I want you to stay here under the protection of my Father. You have a job to do. You're here to represent me and share God's message with everyone that you know. 
God will keep you safe from the evil one as you live under this purpose. And this is what I love about this verse. It speaks about the purpose of our lives. That's so good because we're all looking for purpose. We're all looking for meaning. Everybody wants to know what their reason for living is. It's to know Jesus, to to take in his message into your own life, believing it for yourself, and then share it with someone else so that they would have the same opportunity. That is the universal purpose of all of our lives. We, we know very clearly here that Jesus cares about his kingdom and, and he wants to welcome everyone into his kingdom so he empowers us. It's the humble people that we are, the, the, the people who lack so much, yet Jesus empowers us to do the things that he was doing while he was here, that we can bring hope to someone else. The most effective way for us to tell people about the Lord is to talk about him and we have to be here to do that. In this verse, the evil one, of course, is... Satan. He works against Christ and anyone who associates themselves with Christ. So that's us. But when we side with Jesus, again, when we side with Jesus and we do the will of the Father, we have the protection of God like we've talked about already. So as we are working for the will of the Father, we can be sure that he does protect us from the evil one. So so many people, they, they go through life and they feel like there's always this This devil sitting on their shoulder, whispering the negative things in their ear. And then there's this angel on the other shoulder, telling all the positive things, right? We've seen cartoons like that. The easiest way to silence this voice is to know what God's will is, to find a way to serve him within your church or or to, to your neighbors in your neighborhood, and then do it. Because that's the way that you're living for God and his voice becomes louder and louder in your life. And you don't hear these things when we're idle. When we're lazy, when we're apathetic, that's when the voice of the devil becomes louder and louder. And we struggle sometimes to hear what God might be saying. Be active in your faith. That's probably the easiest way to make the volume on God's voice get louder. Verse 16. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. This is so great. So Jesus affirms what we said earlier in verse 14, that we don't belong to this world. We live in this world, but through being devoted to Jesus, we are separated from the way that most people in this world have chosen to live. And that's exactly what it means when Jesus says, make them holy. As we live for God and choose to follow his will, act with his will and character in mind, and do what glorifies him, this is what a life of purity and holiness looks like. The word of God, the truth that he speaks into our lives through the Bible, through worship services, through people speaking uh, to us about God, through the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives, this is what develops holiness in the eyes of God. Continuing to be taught the word of God, continuing to allow it to speak to your heart and your life, continuing to allow it to marinate you and change you so that you're not the same as the person you were before you met Jesus. If we make a decision to trust in Jesus, but after that, We never have anything to do with him. Our life isn't holy because we're not living by the truth that separates us from the world. There has to be a difference, right? That's, That's what we talk about when we see fruit. When Jesus talks about fruit so often in John 15, it's like the difference from who you are to who you are now or who you were to who you are now. In 1 John 2, verse 3 and 4, this is a crazy verse. It says, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. That's really good. If someone claims, I know God, 
but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Can you imagine? I hope you can't. But can you imagine living a life where we say, oh, I know who God is. But we're actually wrong and we're lying to ourselves because nothing that we do in our life is in agreement with the will of God. That's a scary place to be. And man, there's some easy ones, right? Like there's, there's a lot of things that we, we just look at in our culture like, oh, it's common sense. Or everyone lives like that because that's the law of the, of the police force or, the, or the, the county that you live in or the state that you live in or whatever, right? Where do you think they got all those ideas? You know, where, why is murder illegal in so many countries? Because the Bible said so, right? So when we begin to understand what God's rules are, what his, what his guidelines for life are, and we live in them, oh, all of a sudden, that's where holiness comes in. And we're not liars. Then we're authentic Christians living under the purity of God. Obedience to God, holiness is never meant to take a day off. And this is why Jesus prays for the truth of God to be made known to us. God's word helps us maintain obedience and relationship with God. We're being shown yet again how important it is to actually read the Bible for ourselves and allow our lives to be led by the Holy Spirit. Last two verses today. Just as you, or Jesus, Jesus says now, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. The Father sent the Son, Jesus, here for you and me, and now Jesus is passing on that sending to us. This, is, this started with the disciples who were there with him as he prayed, but this mission extends to you and me today. And of course, we are commissioned by Jesus through his sacrificial death because he dies giving his life for us. He comes back to life giving us eternal life. And now we are like ambassadors who get to say, I have Christ living in me, and he can do the same for you. This is how it works. He gives his life for us so that we can be forgiven, acceptable, holy, and set apart for the work of God. A theme that really stands out to me today from this passage is cooperation with God. Living according to his will and character consistently. This is what brings so many blessings into our lives. Today we learned that living by the name of God, living for God's glory, it provides us with protection, joy, mission, Safety from the evil one. A reminder that our home is in heaven and not here on earth. And holiness. That's so good that Jesus would do all these things for us. So we're going to end today by giving God the last word. Karen, you can come up already if you want. I know Jesus was praying for his disciples in, in this passage. But every one of us is called to be a disciple of Christ as well. So what we're going to do is we're just going to be quiet for a moment and we're going to pray and we're going to ask Jesus a question. And, and there's nothing that's going to happen out loud. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is, is tell Jesus in your heart, yeah, I, I'm actually open to what you want to say to me. You're the one who guides my life. You're the one who is my leader. I'm submitted to you. So I need to understand what your heart is saying to me. So we're going to ask Jesus a question, then we're going to be quiet for a moment, and we're just going to wait to see if there's some thoughts or a sense that God wants to give us that helps us understand his direction for us in this moment. So let's just be quiet for a moment here, then I'm going to put a question on the screen. I'll, I'll ask this and we'll, we'll listen together in prayer. Father, as we pray, as we listen for your voice, we invite you to come and speak to us. We're your church. 
We want to be led by you. Not by any man, not by any woman, not by any human effort. But we believe fully that you are the leader. So that's why we submit to you and we give you a chance to speak. So here's our question. Jesus, I believe in you. But am I living scared of the world's reaction to my faith? Or confident of your protection for me as I live out my faith? place right now you know the reaction to that question that everyone has had you know the sense or the thought that's come to them quickly in this moment Lord for those who are scared for those who are maybe timid in their faith they're maybe doubting some things or second guessing some things and and they know that they want to be more bold God I pray that you will give them the answer to what they are requesting that you will fill them with boldness and strength to live by your spirit to honor you, to glorify you, Lord Jesus, and that they would not be afraid of bringing up your name, sharing the hope of Jesus with anyone that they meet. For those who have prayed and they maybe sense that there is a confidence that they have as they speak about the truth and they love you freely, I pray that they would continue to do this with even more boldness. I pray that they would be encouraged in what they're doing and that you, Lord Jesus, would also show them someone else that they can encourage in their faith So that we're not living afraid of who we are as Christians, but we're living bold, knowing that our joy is eternal and any suffering that we have here is temporary. God, in this church, we ask that you would raise up people among all of us. I pray that they would be built up and equipped by your name to do the work that you have called us to do. Jesus, we don't want to just be a lame duck church. We don't want to be a Sunday morning only church. That church has zero purpose. But Lord, we want to be the church that comes together. We're inspired by what you want to say. We are brought together and unified through how you're working in us. And then we say, yes, of course, this is the life that we want. We want to go out and we want to be outside of these walls, the same people that we claim to be inside of these walls. Jesus, would you move in power? Would you fill us with courage and strength, Lord Jesus? Would you cause any roadblock in our lives to be addressed, to be demolished, so that it would not stand in the way of us living as the people that you have called us to live like. Thank you so much that you call us to this. I thank you, Lord, that as soon as we're saved, we're not instantly taken up into heaven. I thank you that you leave us here. We know that the word says that we do not share in your glory unless we share in your sufferings. The trouble that we have here as Christians, it actually identifies us as yours. Thank you, Lord, that you would bless us by allowing us to be called your children, your servants, your followers, your disciples, your friends. And as your friends, Lord Jesus, on behalf of this whole church, we commit to what you are wanting from us. We want to be good friends for you and do the work that you have given us to do. 